You're listening to What is Black Podcast, where we have conversations about issues important to raising healthy and thriving Black children and adolescents. I'm your host, Dr. Jacqueline Duget, a board-certified pediatrician and mom. So let's get started. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of What is Black Podcast. I want to thank you all for listening. I also want to let you know that there are a few more episodes until the end of season one. I'm planning some great content for season two. But before I take my break, I will bring in you great guests like today's episode. Um, we have today Kelly Glass. Kelly is a writer whose interests focus on the intersection of parenting, mental health, race, and diversity. She's also the author of a young racial literacy book, Looking at Privilege and Power. Her work can be found in the Washington Post, Oxygen.com, Hello Giggles, and more. And in today's episode, we discuss two of her recent essays, um, one exploring the vulnerability of Black mothering and then also addressing black mom anxiety. We'll get into more of the background for and the inspiration for these um, for these essays. And I think we have a great conversation. So let's get started. So welcome, Kelly, to the show. Thank you, Jackie. Happy to be here. So I became acquainted with Kelly on Twitter. I saw um, I saw the piece about her one of her articles in the Washington Post um, on a section, um, Washington Post has a section on parenting perspectives. And the first article that I read was, where do black mothers go to cry? And so that's how I became acquainted with Kelly. But before we get started in the conversation and talking about her work, I'd like to have, give Kelly an opportunity to um, introduce herself to, to you all. Yeah, so you did a pretty good job of introducing me as a writer. Um, <laughs> I am uh, I'm a journalist by education. I am a writer by trade. Um, I am just recently sort of considering my writing as full-time business, um, but one of my major focuses is kind of having those conversations that I don't feel like are covered enough in mainstream publications. And I totally agree with you, and I think that's what resonated with me when I read the article. And then we'd like, and I'd like later on to to touch on your most recent recent article. But let's first focus on where do black mothers go to cry. So when I first saw the article on Twitter, I posted it on my Instagram feed, and I got a lot of reaction um, from oh, individuals that really that really liked. Um, really liked the article because I think it, it definitely spoke to them. And I think mm-hmm. the other the other piece too is that I think I, I mean I had a conversation recently, you know, talking about, you know, the role of black moms being having to be almost I feel like superhuman, right? And this, mm-hmm. that article spoke to me. So I was just wondering, um if you could tell us a little bit about the article and what was your inspiration for writing the article. Um yeah, absolutely. So the way this particular essay came about, um, I'm in a few different mom groups on Facebook, um, very active in them. Um, and one of them, the, the moms were discussing um, this idea of, you know, not being able to cry, not having time to cry, not having space to cry. Um, and then someone started a discussion of, you know, where, where do we go to cry? And so kind of in this very literal sense, people started answering, you know, the bathroom or here or there. Um, but really, metaphorically, where do black mothers go to cry? Where are we allowed to be vulnerable? Um, so this sort of inspired this personal essay that 
as much as I felt as I was writing. It was very personal to me, but I consider it our story because I know that a lot of the themes resonate. I know that a lot of us grew up, uh, you know, religious families. Our grandmothers were, you know, important parts of our lives, and we had these experiences one way or another that kind of shaped the way we handled or, or failed to handle, for that matter, our emotions, specifically crying, um, and specifically for black women when we are expected to be strong. Um, so as much as the article was personal for me, I really felt like I was writing something that I hoped would come off as this is our story, um, and in the end, this is where we go to cry. This is where we need to go to cry. Um, and I'm, I'm very big on talking about my experience with therapy. Um, my first forays into personal essays were about my struggle with postpartum depression. So I've been very open about that since the beginning of my writing career. And it's a thing that sticks with me. And especially as I see more and more black women be open about their mental health struggles, I just want them to know, you know, solidarity, like we, we're in this together. So this was really our story. And again, I think you did such a, just, just such a wonderful job um, in the essay um, going back to kind of, to kind of bring it, bringing it home to your experiences with your mom, with your grandmother. And I really found mm-hmm. it interesting um, in the essay when you, when you talk about when your grandmother passed away, that that particular that particular year was just very challenging for you. And you and you mentioned in the essay. It was this year that I also learned that tears were a weapon. And mm-hmm. I was wondering if you could you could speak to that um, that time um, in your life and how how that affected you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess the short story would be. Um, this was around the time that, and I, I talk about this a little bit in the essay, but I moved from the south side of Chicago. So if you picture the south side of Chicago culturally um, to a small town in Illinois where I was often, if not always, the only black person in the room, as, you know, and this is in middle school. Um, so I grew up a very specific way, and I was kind of put in this, experience where I was learning about, for the first time, learning about how race um, almost acts as a subculture, how being black was different um, than being white, just to be frank. This is this was my very first experience with that at that age. Um, so that year, I learned a lot about the dynamics of things. So as I grew up, being taught to stop crying. Um, I was put in, a, in an environment around people who had learned how to uh, use their tears, if you will. Um, and we see this now. We see that um, in conversations, we, we have a word for it now, um, white fragility, and we see that come up often when we try to have these kinds of conversations and they're uncomfortable. Um, and they're, they're usually used as a way to shut down the conversation um, because once a person starts crying, that's viewed as innocent and as a victim, right? What do we do? We, we, we shut things down because, you know, we can't, we can't 
hurt this person who's perceived as a victim. So that was my first experience with that. And I didn't know it at the time but when I was writing this essay that came to me. This essay was really just a recollection of all of the times that I had these pivotal points in my life that changed the way that I viewed the act of crime. And thank you for, thank you for sharing, um, being willing to, to share that. Because um, I yeah. think, again, what's, what, sort of, what I sort of related to, and I think I had, to, I had to think about it myself, you know, your experiences that you shared that, you know, you moved from um, south side of Chicago to, to a suburb where you now had, had I guess, you, you know, you may have been one of only a few black, black people maybe in your school mm-hmm. or in, in your sure. neighborhood. So I found I kind of grew up, grew up the opposite. I grew up in Washington, D.C., where it was all, you know, all black and then I'm just I'm just trying to reminisce about I think it's true, like I never saw my mom cry. If she mm-hmm. had to deal with anything, it was kind of like, you know what, I'm I'm just gonna keep it moving. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I think it wasn't until I became a mom and I think you sort of share this as well in the you know, this intergenerational um journey that you take us through the essay. That it's kind of like it's it's when you become a mom, right? And I think it's now that we kind of have to we have to make a choice, right? We either continue to exactly. have, continue that um, that conditioning, right? That social conditioning, or we exactly. have to understand that maybe we need to do things differently. But sometimes it's it's hard, right? Because there are times like you know you. There are mm-hmm. times with my kids, right? I have two. I have two black sons. I'm I'm a black woman too, so I guess it's redundant to say I have two black sons, but. I think I think that's the case, right? There are times when I want to be so strong, you know. If I'm if I'm, you know, talking to them about a serious situation, right? I'm like, I I can't cry because mm-hmm. I want to cry, right? Because I'm scared of a situation, right. you know, that we're talking about. But at the same time, it's that it's kind of like, am I doing my kids a disservice by not crying and not showing my vulnerability? So I just I just find, just found it found it so yeah. interesting to reflect upon it. And, yeah, I'm there with you. And then there's also um, for me, I don't know if this resonates with you, but for me, there's this piece where I I don't ever want to dishonor my elders or my ancestors in a way that says, hey, the way that you did this, the way that you taught me was wrong, because I know that it came from somewhere. I know that it was a symptom of something. It It served a purpose. But at some point, you do have to say, okay, this is not... This is not the legacy I want to leave for my, I also have two black sons. <laughs> this is not the legacy I want to leave for them, and this is not healthy for me. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm totally there with you on that one. And, you know, as I'm, as I'm thinking about what you said, I'm wondering if I would have been different, any different with, with girls, right? I mean, I don't have them, and I'll never know what that experience is like. But, I mean, but I sometimes wonder, like, would I have acted differently with girls versus having having um, black boys? Because I feel like I don't – I mean, I know I grew up, you know, I, I, have, a, I have a younger brother, and I know we were brought mm-hmm. up differently, but I think I – think, I think I, I I think I would be different, but I just don't know how it would be different, right? For for me having girls, because because since you have your mom, your grandmother, unfortunately, I didn't have, I wasn't around my grandparents, so I had my mom okay. and my dad, so I don't really have that intergenerational um, experience. Right. So, so how do you feel that that experience having your grandmother, having those multiple generations, and you even grew up with your grandmother? 
how did that influence um, your your parenting? Yeah, you know, um, <laughs> my so my mom she had three girls, um, and we all lived under the same roof with my grandmother at the time. So we're house house full of women, and um, I I never my my memories in in the house that we grew up in in Chicago. I can't remember a single time where I physically saw either one of them um, cry or express a vulnerable emotion in front of us. Um, that I, I knew that it occurred, but I didn't see it in front of us, um, not even for my grandmother. And um, there were times that I wanted to cry. Um, my grandmother had um, a stroke, and um, there were times where she didn't remember my name. So there was, you know, there were several things where, several times where I wanted to cry um, with her, if you will, or in front of her, and I never knew if, I never knew if that was okay. Um, so I, I really think that that experience um, kind of lended itself to me being this person who, very, very emotional, extremely emotional, I can admit this now extremely emotional, um, naturally, extremely, but not sure where was the right place or if it was okay to express it. Um, and my grandmother, she was very, um, very religious as well. Um, so was my mother. Um, so that played a part as well, um, in that experience. If there was if there was ever a, a problem, if there was ever something for them to cry over, the most that I saw was, was them pray about it. Um, so I, I really think that that shaped my idea that, okay, if I wanted to be strong like my grandmother's light and liar dearly, um, you know, crying everywhere, anywhere, <laughs> or just crying in general is just not what, what you do. Oh, totally. I mean, you know, you mentioned the Facebook group. I think I would have, I would have definitely chimed in because I'm just, again, just remembering. I think when my mom, um, my mom, my mom is a is an is an immigrant to the United States, and so oh, okay. her, her mom, her mom passed away um, in her home. So my my mom is from Guyana originally, and my mom couldn't go back home. Um, but even when. I don't remember my mom crying when she heard my heard that my grandma or not not in front of me right I didn't see her actually cry right. when when she passed away or when she heard she passed away I know she did you know she must have right because my mom's very emotional, right. right I think most moms I don't know if most moms are but I think I get it from her that that emotionality but not necessarily the crying the crying piece and again that what you're saying right. kind of resonated with me it's like well you know what it's like you know she had to be that strong that mm-hmm. she couldn't break down, right? That, and again, I think that was right. sort of a conditioning. That's what she, that, was lear- that had to be learned behavior. And, it w- and even younger, you know, it didn't, it didn't really, it's like, this doesn't make sense, right? You see on TV, mm-hmm. mostly, you know, mm-hmm. I've been to the 70s, and it's like, it's probably like white people, you know, you're seeing characters like, these people are crying, and like, right. we're not crying. And you don't see that on TV either. You don't see, uh, you know, you don't see, Black women, especially as mothers, portrayed as, I mean, you know, we've, we've made some strides, sure, but you don't mm-hmm. typically see um, black mothers to be very, like, uh, soft, nurturing 
types of roles unless they're taking care of, you know, other people's children. Um, so even, even the way we grew up watching, um, black moms on TV who are very, you know, no nonsense and, you know, it's just, the conditioning was coming from everywhere, really. Because mm-hmm. I was thinking, I mean, I think, I think the first time I probably ever saw, I can remember seeing a black woman cry on television was the, was, was a good times episode. And, the 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 mom Esther Rolls character. I remember her. You know, she was, and I don't even know if she even cried. Maybe she just she was just expressing that anger. I remember her saying, "Damn, damn, damn." And I don't know if that was, mm-hmm. and I forget if that was in relationship to learning that her husband um, James Evans had had died. But I think I think mm-hmm. she was like the she she's the first character I re, I vividly remember black character um, crying. Um, on television. Wow! I was like, oh, and I like I have, I don't really, I'd have to go back and find, you know, look at a whole bunch of other movies and television shows. Um, to yeah, see but I don't look for it. I don't because I guess I don't expect it. Right. Uh, yeah, I think that's the thing. I don't expect it, and now I'm going to have to go back and do some thinking. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's amazing how, like you said, you know, our lived experiences. In some ways, right, I feel like, you know, television and media sometimes, you know, stereotypes or overgeneralizes images. But in some ways, I feel like, well, maybe that's true, right? That's that's really something they've they've really, they sort of like captured if you really look at a lot of media. Like, mm-hmm. well, why don't black women cry? Or, yeah, so I think, mm-hmm. yeah. So it's very interesting, very interesting. Yeah, I agree. But do you think now, ha- having the experiences that you had and, and using the essay to sort of reflect on um, how, your, how, your, how your grandmother and mother dealt with life experiences, has that translated now to your parenting? Like, are, are you okay with your kids crying, especially now black men, right? So now that's another layer. It's like, okay, we, we have black mm-hmm. boys, black young men, and it's like, are we teaching them that it's okay to cry as well and be vulnerable? Um. For me, absolutely, and I think it it starts with um, us as parents. It starts with mom and with dad um, being open about emotions and letting our our black boys know that emotions are okay. It is okay. It is normal to feel this way. What do we do now? You know, it is it's normal to cry because what. What I don't want is to raise a a boy into a uh, black man who has bottled his emotions mm-hmm. and he continues a cycle with his own children and with his own wife who he doesn't know how to express his emotions to um, because he didn't get the opportunity to do that as a child. Um, that's one of my fears as a mom. And so when things happen to my uh, boys, and they are they, a huge age gap. One of them is about to be four, and one of them just turned 15. Um, so I let both of them know. I, I understand. I understand that you're hurt, and it's okay to cry. It's okay to cry. Let me know when you're ready to talk. Because what I don't want is for them to think that being a man equals lack of emotion. Being a man does not equal hiding how you feel and to me that that kind of emotional intelligence is 
so important. It's so important in a partner. Um, it's important in a husband. It's important in a, a father. And I think it's something that we have, you know, we've, we, we haven't gotten it right, you know, as a culture necessarily, but we have a real opportunity to do that. And if we start being open, if, um, as mothers, we start letting our kids know, our, our boys know it's okay to cry, doesn't make you any less of a man, whatever that means. Um, and if we, we have fathers who are also saying, hey, you know, I cried when, when I fell off my bike. I cried when this happened to me. It's okay. If we have that, we can start moving away from these toxic ideals that I really think are oppressing us emotionally. So it's very important to me that my son, my sons know. My sons have seen me cry, and I, um, you know, they they, they know, um, and I've I've seen them cry, and I've told them when they cry, and I've told them, hey, I understand, you know, what are our next steps? It's okay to cry. What are we going to do next? Oh, awesome, awesome. And again, I think um, again this article is so wonderful, and there's there's such a depth to it. I mean, it's it's not just about moms, right? But it's also I think it's to me it's really about modeling, right? It's like what are you mm-hmm. what are you learning, and what are you able to teach your kids? Like you said about what's yep. what's normal, what's not normal in terms of expression expressing emotion. I mean, because I remember right. oftentimes you know being told like if you know stop crying, you you need to you know, you need to cut that out. And there may even sometimes be punishment as a result of not crying, uh, not stopping crying, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I remember that growing up. And it's like, well, I'll try not to, not to repeat that because, again, that conditioning that, tra- you know, it's like it's, it's continuing that trauma, that legacy of trauma. You may not, yep. have, your parents may not have known to call it that, but it's like now it's like, yeah, there's a lot, a lot of trauma in that. Yeah, now we know better and, we, you know, we absolutely can do better. So just kind of continuing on the topic of parenting and the essays that you write to really, um, you know, share stories about um, and almost kind of create that um, sense of community, right? The shared experience that many right. black parents have. Um, your most recent essay, which is called um, The Terrible Stress of Shopping with Kids While Black. I was like, oh, yeah, this is, this was very, very impactful to me. Now, you talk about there's a checklist that you use mm-hmm. um, with your sons. And so I guess we'll go back a little bit again. What was, what was the, the inspiration for, for this essay? And again, just speaking to how, you know, the, the checklist, if you can talk about the checklist and why, it's important, mm-hmm. why it was important for you to do that. With your yeah, I think um, it, sort of anybody who pays attention to what's going on in, in this country, um, saw the video, heard, heard about it, read about it. Um, the family in Phoenix, um, where the four-year-old walked out of the store with a, a doll, um, there may or may not have been other items in question, but the fact of the matter is, is that um, they were threatened and um, they, as a family, had guns pointed at them and they were um, treated not not like humans, um, over this. And it just kind of goes back to, again, one of, one of the, what I, what I call, um, black mom anxieties when we go into the store with our children. Um, you know, we all know that, you know, children are, children are curious. They want things. They like things. 
and um, you know, we, we, we might consider it, you know, a child being a child, right? You teach them right from wrong when you can, but at an age like four, you don't necessarily, you don't necessarily equate what you're doing with an act that could get you killed or held at gunpoint, right? So um, sort of one of my um, anxieties with my, my son, my, my 15-year-old now, um, he loves toys, and his thing is always to go look at the toys um, whenever we go into a store. So this checklist, um, as I call it in the, the essay, came about because I wanted to give him the freedom to go look at toys and to go have that experience, but I, I wanted a way to protect him from what I knew could happen. Um, now, when I was a kid, I'm sure when you were a kid, um, maybe you recall this as well, Latasha Harlins was um, gunned down in a convenience store over a bottle of orange juice that she was going to pay for. Um, you know, we can name all the, the black teenagers and kids who have uh, been shot over items right, mm-hmm. over material things, and this checklist was my way of protecting my son in those anxieties while also recognizing that it's a sad reality that we have to do this, but I do this because you are, you're valuable to me, you know, our black boys are valuable to us regardless of what, you know, society says. I think for me the checklist kind of ring. I mean, definitely, definitely rang true, but it also kind of was reminiscent of the talk. So I've had it, I've done an episode mm-hmm. where um, we talk about the talk and typically, you know, my understanding of the talk and the ones I've had with my kids are we're driving, right? So if the police stop, stop you. And so this checklist kind of seemed like, okay, this is, this is like the talk, but for younger kids. Right. Yeah. I don't know if you, if you thought about it in, in that context at all. Um. No, I haven't, but I think that's a that's a great point. Um, <clears throat> we're not at the point where my son is <laughs> behind the wheel yet, so I haven't gotten to that um, quite yet. I have thought of other things for him, you know, and his interactions uh, with the police. But that is a very that's a, a very good point, and I can see that. So I was like, oh man, this. I, I mean, I think I think I may have I may have done this unconsciously. Um, you know, but I think you, you, you stated so well, right? So you have in your checklist, you know, do not bring anything inside the store that the store sells. And another example is keep your hands away from your pockets at all times. It's like, yeah, I, I mean, I guess that's, that's true, right? Because I know even there have been some studies that show that um, African, I don't, know if, I don't know if it's African American boys solely or African American um, girls as well. Um, many people, um, non-black people think that they look older and that they are older than they are, right? And so this idea yeah. of um, the childhood, you know, black children kind of lose their innocence sooner um, than mm-hmm. other children because of that um, that perception. And again, I think exactly. that sort of, sort of speaks to that, right? So, and it's, and I think, like you said, you know, there's this black mom anxiety. Again, I, for me, I didn't have a, have a have a term for it, but I knew I had, you know, and it, I think it's normal, right? After talking to colleagues of mine, it's like, all right, it's normal to feel that way, unfortunately, because when we, mm-hmm. you know, we, we talked before about some of the conditioning and um, the media reports. It's kind of hard not to not to have not to be anxious, but I think what you do you do such a great job of, just like the where do mothers 
where do black mothers go to cry? There's this balance, right? You you acknowledge that th- that you have this anxiety, but you're taking actions to sort of mm-hmm. um, assure assure the safety of your child, but also um, nurturing your child as well. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that's what that's what my goal is is to have these conversations in a way that acknowledges these bad realities for us, but then also gives that tidbit of, you know, we got this though, you know, this, this is what we can do. You know, we, 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 we do live in this reality. Yes. It's not, it's not awesome, but there are ways that we can navigate these realities in a way that, um, preserves our sanity, if you will, but also helps our children feel a little bit more free in a society where they're not um, perceived as as innocent as their white peers. Mm-hmm. And again, I love the fact um, in the essay you talk about um, that your son, that he's valuable beyond belief, right? And I think... Mm-hmm. That's that af- that affirmation of and the love that you have for your kids, right? And so some of the things that we do yeah. don't necessarily always. It's un- I feel sometimes it's unfair, right? That we have that sometimes black families have to do things so differently. But I think you right. and there's there's this truth, right? That you know you list some of the names of kids who have um, who have who have died um, very young, mm-hmm. and like we have you know as parents we have to do what we. But we need to do, but with love, um, to to protect our kids, but also, like you said, to to value them. But you still, but I still at the end, I love I love at the end of the essay, you know, it's it's not like you're holding on so tightly, right, that they can't right. live, which is great. Right. Yeah. Because in the end, I I want them, I want them to feel free, whatever that whatever that looks like, you know, I want them to feel free. So. We do what we can as moms, but ultimately, we we can't, as you put it, we can't hold on so tightly that they can't go anywhere. Correct, correct. So, Kelly, what's next for you in terms of um, writing projects, essays? I mean, I think I'm, I'm looking forward to your to your next your next essays. <laughs> I'm learning a lot. Which thank you. you. Thank you. My essays are always a surprise. I will tell you something that um, those are the kinds of of things that come to me. I sit down and I write them um, with a a great sense of urgency. Um, So I don't, I don't have the next one in my head yet, but um, uh, the best way to find them is on Twitter at, at Kelly G writer. Thank you for listening to this episode of what is black podcast. As always, you can listen um, to other great episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're listening to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, please remember to subscribe, rate, and review us. We'd also love to hear from you. You can connect to us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time.